0: There's some interesting um, points in here which uh, I wish to bring up to bring, bring to your attention. Uh, first of all, there is a characteristic trait problem. Okay, this is not specific to Israel or Israelites or people or certain individual people. It's a characteristic trait from all humans, and this is a problem. And I want to point this out to you because it shows up in this tour portion, and of course the next. Technically, it shows up a little bit in the previous one, but. It's more obvious in this one and the next one, so it's a matter of belief. So when we deal with belief and and what we believe, what we don't believe, it gets a little complicated. Uh, people have their own idea. I believe this. You believe that. We may have beliefs that that, that match or di- or don't match, or agree or don't agree. All those details, right? Nothing too 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 shocking about that. What I want to bring your attention to is uh, the first thing that God brings up in this Torah portion. Is the fact that Israel does not believe the children of Israel don't believe Moses, and don't believe God, and they still don't believe him even up through the plagues before he reaches the locusts. They still don't believe him. Now, put yourself in Israel's position. You're a slave. You've been a slave for however many decades, years, centuries. What do you want to argue it as far as in generations, right? And you have all these issues and struggles and these work you have to do and such. And God is the one who is ultimately knowing all things. And so he comes along and tells Moses, I'll give you another plague. But this one, the direction is unlike the previous plagues, which are focused upon Egypt believing that he was God. This one, he explicitly states the first few verses there, first one and two, that this plague is focused upon Israel has to believe that he is actually God. Sounds kind of strange. Think, well, how could they not believe he's God? Didn't they? Didn't they see the frogs and and the blood and the diseases and the hail and all that great stuff? But God's pointing out Israel themselves still don't believe he is God, or that Moses was sent by him, even through all these plagues. And I find this a fascinating topic because I try to put myself in those positions and imagine: well, if I've lived through this stuff thus far, And I still don't believe or accept that this Moses is clearly sent by God. I don't believe it. I don't accept it. I doubt it. I suspect it. I think it's a, I I may imagine some of the reasons, whatever you can pop into your head, some of the reasons Moses can do all these things. But whatever it is, I'm not willing to accept that this is from God, Um, which I find is fascinating because if that happens in our story of Moses, which quite clearly it does. And by the way, in case you're curious, Israel does not accept Moses as being sent by God until after the Red Sea. They have to go through the Red Sea before they accept, and they accept, oh yes, okay, clearly God must actually be with you. So they will have gone through all 10 plagues, all the massive miracles. The Egyptians themselves will believe that he is God. But Israel won't. That is just dumbfoundingly shocking to me. That you have a, a list of pagan Gentiles who worship any God of the sun, and they will accept eventually at the end that Moses and God, so this this God of Moses, is greater, more powerful than all of them. And they'll accept it, but his own people don't. Which is just, it just blows me away. But that's on purpose, uh, because it, it is a it is nature of humanity, but in particular, nature of certain type of people. Maybe we're suspicious. I don't know. There's probably some good reason for it, but I can't think of all the reasons why. So, some, some would be questioned question whether or not this person's from God or not. But in fact, they did not believe. So, the very first two verses, of course, it talks about the fact the purpose of the next plague of locusts was that it makes a mockery of Egypt and that Israel would finally believe that Jehovah is in fact God, that this, this created this, this, this being that's causing these plagues is God. That is God's reasoning. And unlike we don't have the text of what people were thinking up to this point, but clearly God knows what they were thinking. God has insight to their thoughts, their murmurings, their internal conversations they have amongst in their homes. And he's the one determining they don't believe I'm me. They don't believe I sent Moses. Okay, let's try the next plague. That's a lot of plagues to go through before you before you get this point. And even after the locusts, by the way, Israel still doesn't believe. They still don't get it, uh, which I think is fascinating. But I think it's fascinating for for, for a few reasons. In particular, this is the Messiah moment, <laughs> an event actually a series of events in Messiah's life. Of the exact same problem that Moses has. So the belief of of Israel is the problem. Israel. Their belief is not working. They're not accepting or understanding or believing what they see and experience with their own lives, their own eyes, their own senses. They can see it, they can they can they can touch it, they can feel it, they can smell it, all these great senses, and they say, I don't believe any of it. I don't accept it. It can't be true. This is, not, this is not legitimate, which is, again, a strange thing. But Israel's belief is God's objective toward the tail end of these, of these, these plagues, the last three plagues. And of course, he doesn't, he's not successful in it, but that's not his fault. That's their fault. But Israel's belief is a persistent problem throughout their entire history. So, you'll find as you go through this process, obviously with Moses in the, uh, in the, in the desert, remember that the 40 years, right, and the, and, and, and the spies and such, they didn't believe then. Then we have obviously Joshua, and we, when Joshua conquers the land, and, and, and they say, oh, well, I'm not supposed to worship other gods and these altars and such. Did they believe that? No, they continue on with Joshua. That persists all the way through the judges, That persists all the way through every single king. And of course, it continues on persisting. It doesn't stop there. All the way after the kings, all the way through Babylon. And of course, the return. And then of course, Messiah finally shows up. And guess what? They still don't believe. So I have to ask this question. Is this a characteristic trait of just Israel? Or is this all people? I will contend personally, I think it's all people. Um, we 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 there is a a fundamental principle that I've noticed that many of you have noticed as well over the years of your lives. That just because something appears in some way, some fashion, appears like something, doesn't make mean that. We then obviously accept or believe it. it, it, it we, we try to question or, or investigate. Is this legitimate? Is this true? All those great details, which there's nothing wrong with the investigating, by the way. But the lack of willingness to believe is a, is, is a fascinating topic. And I believe is a characteristic trait of people in general. But God's objective here, of course, is to try to get Israel to believe him. And we have lots of prophets, which we we can discuss over the over the generations and such will go through. They still don't believe the individual prophets. You ask, okay, what does it actually take to make or convince Israel to believe? Now I bring this up because let's contrast this to the Egyptians. So the Egyptians, of course, have lots of gods. Um, I I, I don't remember how many. You just make up a number, it's a whole bunch. Uh, they eventually wound up narrowing down to three eventually, but that's like generations later. So at this point in time in Egypt's history, I don't know how many gods they've got. they got a whole bunch of gods, right? And initially, we throughout the, the first, you know, what, six, seven, six, uh, six, seven plagues, or what's the first seven plagues or so, uh, Egyptians did not wish to acquiesce or, or, or concede or say, okay, yes, we will we will give up that this God is actually greater than ours. They weren't willing to do so, and then we notice the last plague, which I think was well, not the last plague, for this plague, which is the, um, the 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 locusts. The Egyptian advisors, they're the ones who initially, when Moses threatens this plague, they initially think, no, we're not going to acquiesce. We're not going to, not going to agree to this or, or say yes. Let's cave in. But once they hear the details of the plague, they eventually tell Pharaoh to at least let the men go. So the advisors advise Pharaoh, okay, we, we, we got to preserve our country. We, 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 we believe this plague is going to come upon us because we have evidence of the, of the previous you know seven plagues going through. So we tell Pharaoh, go ahead and tell the men to go. So Pharaoh it can, it tells Moses, okay, we'll let the men go, uh, but nobody else, right? That was their compromise. But the advisors have come to a point which they're telling Pharaoh, don't you realize Egypt has been lost? We've lost this battle. We can't win this. That this next plague and the ones, whatever ones, they don't know about the, about the darkness yet at this point in time. But they know about the, 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 the locusts. That they're pointing out that they themselves are coming to Pharaoh saying, hey, we're failing. We're not going to succeed. And I bring this question up to you. Not they have to answer, but just think about it in your mind. So let's pretend. Let's let's insert titles or names of people, not like names, but like positions. So let's pretend Pharaoh was, you know, he obviously he's king, so he could be like a. Uh, he's king, but the advisors essentially are what we would call today like our representatives or the owners of certain territories that we are like we were serfs type of thing. They would control areas and control territories. They would be a little bit closer to individual suffering of the people than Pharaoh necessarily would be. So, they themselves are going to have their own losses, both their servants dying from the hail and the disease, their animals dying. Uh, they have various slaves, I'm sure they're also suffering, their families, their law, all the people that they have. They're going to a little bit closer to the actual suffering of individuals versus Pharaoh, who's a little more insulated. And they're going to be a little bit closer. Being closer, I've asked you this question. Let's pretend for a minute that your local uh, senator of, of, of your state is, the, your, is a version of advisor for your territory? How close do you think you have communication-wise and can bend the ear? of that particular senator? Probably not real well, I wouldn't think, unless you happen to know them personally or have some kind of personal repertoire going on. You you as an individual person probably wouldn't have a lot of influence or pull in that senator's viewpoint, or in that senator's life. Well, it says these advisors are kind of like that relationship, maybe not quite ratio population-wise, but the similar kind of idea. So, if you are personally suffering from some law or some problem going on in the world that, that is influenced or affected by your local representatives, theoretically, you'd be able to tell them and they would listen and all that kind of good stuff. Of course, they don't actually listen. But you're going to suffer a long time. there be a whole bunch of you suffering before a senator or in this kid's advisor would say, oh, okay, I'm going to do something about this because they might lose their election. right? They can say, hey, well. Election coming up soon. I've I've heard the suffering for the past two to four years. I should probably go ahead and do something about it before the election, so I can I can keep my job. Well, advisors are not that terribly different, though they are appointed. They still are kind of similar. They have to. They are still subject to people's suffering. So if you take along a, a lot of suffering for an advisor or senator or anybody else we recognize today to say, okay, I'm going to do something about this. So I'm willing to bet, not a lot. I'm willing to bet. There's probably some similar type of scenario going on here with the advisors in that their individual people have been suffering for some time, days, months, years, I don't know, but been suffering for some time from these plagues before the advisors finally assess, okay, we actually have a problem we have to fix. Instead of being the persistent, no, we're fine, everything is good, we're not going to change anything, to say, no, we actually have to do something about this. At that point, then they could talk to Pharaoh. And of course, Pharaoh then has this whole, you know, men can go type of thing. But what I find interesting is that eventually, toward the tail end of the plagues and the death of the firstborn and such, God inspires the Egyptian people to give all their stuff. And in particular, they come to the conclusion the Egyptian people themselves are the ones who wind up, as it is recorded, that they're the ones who fear or respect or acknowledge Moses has power. So there, the Egyptian people come to the conclusion, but appears to be before Pharaoh or the advisors do, that this God that Moses is in charge of or has power with or somehow is involved with, is greater, and they come to belief in Moses and this God before Israel does. Which, again, is also interesting. The Egyptian people who are who are raised with a with a, a smorgasbord of gods, smorgasbord of belief systems and offerings, they come to the conclusion. The Egyptian people come to the conclusion that Moses and his God are to be feared and to be followed and believed. But Israel does not. They can see you on persistence and say, no, I don't believe him. I don't believe in him. Question here. Sorry, hold on. She's Joy's asking a question. Egyptian people weren't losing power? Got it. So, yeah. Right, right. So, so her, so her point is, Pharaoh, for him to have recognized it, he would wind up losing power. It to acknowledge to to accept this god or this power, or whatever it is. Pharaoh comes down in his status or position of this godlike character slash king. The advisors also would come down in their power. If they had acknowledged this God-like, uh, this, this Moses God combo type thing, her point is the Egyptian people don't actually lose anything by making this recognizable connection. That is, tr- that's probably true. Well, Israel didn't, didn't didn't accept it either. They wouldn't right. They wouldn't recognize the bishop either. So, Egyptian people, her point is Egyptian people had less or eventually nothing to lose by saying, okay, yeah, Moses, we believe you. We believe you're God. Now get out of here, right? Stop doing that stuff. So, they had nothing to lose and Pharaoh's advisors did. And that's totally legit. I, I, I believe that that makes sense. There's a reason why Pharaoh was stubborn. What I don't quite fully understand yet, or we haven't fully explored yet, is Israel had nothing to lose by making this connection. They could have said, yes, most who believe with you, yes, we believe God is with you, and they could have done that, but they chose not to. So, the Egyptian people make the recognition, having nothing to lose, but Israel, Israelites would also have nothing to lose, but they persist in saying no. Uh, See, uh, see, the question, because uh, Israel did, quote, know the Lord, end quote, and said no, quote, to Lord, Familiarity breeds contempt. Right. Which we're going to go on that exact topic so where we're, we're, we're leading to. Right. That, 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 well, Israel should have known, right? They, they should have known better than the Egyptians do. So fear of unknown may not be quite a, a good analogy. They they have their own history of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They have the history of, 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 of the patriarchs. So this would be about uh, 200 to, some argue, 210 to 400 years. I'm not going to just debate the time period. But they, but I think it's interesting that a pagan culture, which you write, is just people who have nothing really to lose if they recognize it. Ordinary people would not necessarily lose anything. That, but they would make the recognition and acknowledgement long before the Israelites themselves, who also have nothing to lose, before they would make the acknowledgement. It's it looks like there's a stubbornness inside one group of people that is not in the other. So this is interesting. So. We're going to explore this topic a little bit today and and discuss how it it behaves. Because, Because of this picture we have of Gentile pagan people, so to speak, recognizing God and the power of God inside of Moses, and the Israelites who are supposed to have that knowledge, understanding, comprehension, not doing so, and it happens during Moses' time of the Exodus, we then know since Moses being a messianic figure the ultimate of messianic figures before messiah himself um we know full well that when it happens to messiah we can say oh yeah we've been there before i've seen this okay that's where we're gonna head that's where we're heading okay so that's the basic idea that we have a gentile belief system that was more flexible and more willing to bend to god's will and moses example And we have the Israelite mentality that was less flexible, less willing to bend to Moses and God's will. So I erase this stuff because I have the stuff to write up here. It's kind of like a a character assessment, so to speak, of a Gentile mentality versus an Israelite mentality. I'm not saying one's better or worse. They're just different. But uh, they have their their unique characteristics. So Messiah runs across this a couple of times, and he talks about this in, in in different forms, which we'll go through a few a few of his passages about this exact problem. Uh, this is not uh, unique or special just to Moses, because Messiah runs across. And to be fair, other messianic figures all sort of cross it too in their time period as well in their in their own examples. You have a, a hand is up for hello comments. Go ahead.
1: Oh, um, yeah. So I don't know. I kind of lost you a bit uh, when you started out. You said or maybe I misunderstood what you said, that the premise, the first premise is that people in general have this non-belief about them. You know, it's it's non-believing. And then you you pointed out that Israel is more non-believing than the the Egyptians. Okay, so... Within our text, yes. Let me finish. Um, But the thing is, is... Pharaoh's heart was the one that God hardened. It doesn't say that he hardened the people, the Egyptians' people's heart, but he hardened Pharaoh's heart for a particular reason, to show his glory. Right. Okay, so where did I go wrong thinking that your first premise is that all people are, in general, unbelieving? Is that my generalization is not correct, or...?
0: Let's let's go back to our Torah portion in the first verse uh, in Bo. Uh, that would be uh, 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 Exodus, which said. So, this is God's speaking. So, this is God speaking, not me, not us. So, God says, first first, first two verses, uh, God says this. This is God's assessment of Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and the Israelites, right? God says, Come to Pharaoh, for I have made his heart and the heart of his servants stubborn, so that I can put these signs of mine in his midst. Could it make sense? Next verse. And so that you may relate in the ears of your sons, your sons' sons, that I made a mockery of Egypt and my signs that I placed among them, that you may know that I am Jehovah, God. So in this passage, in verse 2, so you and your sons, your sons' sons, you relate this, that you may know that I am God, he is including the children of Israel. You notice in the previous plagues, he's his plagues, it points out that he's focused on Egyptians seeing and accepting him being the God being being Yehovah or being God. In this passage, verse two, he's including the children of Israel, that they would know or believe that he is being God. And the Israelites explicitly confessed their acceptance to him after the Red Sea, not beforehand. So it tell, it tells that there is a there is a disbelief going on within side of Israel that's not necessarily spelled out in Egyptian people though it is spelled out in the stubbornness of Pharaoh's advisors but not as people. Does that make sense? That's what we're discussing. That God included the children of Israel and that they need to know that who God is that the God actually is God. Yes, next comment.
1: Daniel? I'd like yes, to point out in uh, First Samuel 6, 6. Wherefore then do you harden your hearts, as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had wrought wonderfully among them? Did they not let the people go and when they departed? So uh, in in Samuel it says Pharaoh
0: hardened all their hearts. No? He the hearts of the Egyptian advisors. It, it does not appear he hardened the hearts of the individual Egyptian people. Well, it says, and as it, it says, wherefore then do they harden your hearts as the Egyptians, that's plural. Right. Right. Heart. And how many Egyptians do we have? We have <laughs> Pharaoh. We have uh, advisors. We have, uh, obviously, the Egyptian people. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying just people didn't have a hardened heart. My point is that they caved earlier than uh, the Israelites did. They, they, they acquiesced or gave up earlier. So the Egypt, the Pharaoh gave up late. He was a late. Advisors were earlier before Pharaoh was. The Egyptian people seemed to have given up a bit earlier than that. That was my point. The Egyptian people seemed more flexible on their stubbornness than Pharaoh and his advisors were. While Israel was not, their stubbornness stayed which is proven throughout the entire passages and, and, uh, of the 40 years of wandering. So, it's, it's reiterated multiple times. Israel remains stubborn to keep saying, is God really with us? Moses, we blame you. Is God re-? Over and over and over again. So, we see that Israel's stubbornness or disbelief persists. It's persistent. It lasts and continues on for at least, at minimum, in Moses' lifetime for 40 straight years. While the Egyptians' disbelief did not persist so long, does that make sense? So we're exploring the fact that God is recognizing early on in this this in our both the first the second verse that there's a there's a stubbornness within inside of Israel. They they also have to have, and Moses is told you have to repeat, repeat uh, for generations to come. To know that, hey, I I did in fact do this. This is real. This is a real thing, which that's not a problem necessarily, but the stubborn disbelief is what's fascinating to to me it is. We have uh, a few other details to cover as we get through this. So, it's pretty obvious that God is in fact recognizing that Israel has a stubborn streak to them. And it's just showing up in this part early on. And then we all have read the rest of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the kings and the prophets and messiahs. This persistent, stubborn disbelief is extraordinarily well-developed with inside Israelites and seems to be far less developed with inside Egyptian people. And our messiah even says so and explicitly states that this disbelief, which we're going we're to quote to next, it records it in... um Matthew, I think it's, I'll, I'll get there. He it in Matthew, he records it in Luke, which is a kind of repetition. He records it in John as well. This stubbornness belief is more persistent in Israel than even, than Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that, those, 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 those passages? Um, this, this, this belief, this stubbornness Israel has of, I don't believe you, God. I don't believe the person you sent God. I don't accept this God is more persistent in Israel, though I think it is a, a problem for all humanity. I don't think it's just something special in Israel alone, right? There's all humanity has this problem. But I find it fascinating that pagan people, Egyptians, and pagan people, Sodom and Gomorrah, seem to have a less persistent stubbornness of this disbelief they have than the Israelites are recorded with inside our entire Bibles, repeated again and again and again and again and again. And it fascinates me that this is a problem. This happens this way. And I don't have the complete answer. It's more of an observation of God chose the descendants of Abraham. And man, they can be really stubborn <laughs> of all the people that choose. Why is it? Why are they so stubborn? I don't have an answer as to why, but we're going to do a little more exploring in our texts and see that God recognizes this. Of course, the, 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 all the prophets recognize it over repeatedly over and over again. And Messiah recognizes it, and of course, the disciples recognize it. This is a persistent stubbornness and not willing to accept the most obvious things in front of you. Does it make sense? And I find that that's fascinating. It, 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 it is a belief problem, and I can't explain why it is this way, but just that it is this way. Uh, yes, Lorianne? So, your point is that it's kind of like having kids. And you have kids in your own house, and they go to the neighbor's house or neighbor's friends, and they're all really well-behaved because it's the neighbor's house. They come back to your house, and they're back, back to mis- misbehave because of their familiarity. With their, this is their home. They, they know what they get away with. It's kind of like, so it was just like the, the neighbor's house like an other god. We can, we can behave with the other gods because they're not, they're not the one we're familiar with. But then what we are familiar with, we don't behave because he's, he's our god. Maybe there could be something into that. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's interesting to, to, to explore this topic. So she noticed that there's yeah this this exacting this consistent pattern that she's noted that she, that she pointed out. So in the judges, she points out, uh, uh there's obviously no king, right? We don't say there was no king at the time, and so they just decided what they wanted to do. I do my thing, you do yours, we're all fine. And they go from this judges cycle into prison or captivity, <laughs> if captive, and there's famine, and instead of responding to the obvious, oh, hey, look, we have disaster, which even King Solomon's the exact same problem with his own people. Come on, guys, get it. They don't. And they, they say, oh, we're so sorry, God, forgive us. And they go, no, God said, okay, I'll forgive you. And they go back into good standing, sort of. It's like it's more like this semi kind of, okay, tolerable, not good, it's kind of semi good. And they like within a few not even a generation goes by 10 15 years go by and they do it again and they go back into captivity and then famine and this this cycle never ends right it's not even like it's like, like you know generations go by it's it's actually sometimes the same generation that's within the same cycle and so this 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 the stubbornness the disbelief system that's going on or persists is quite fascinating to watch and to observe and that's what we're discussing, that God appears to recognize recognizing it early on in the midst of the plagues, because even Moses pointed out the, hey, God, you sent me these, when he was talking to the burning bush, right, with the whole, the signs, they're going to believe me. They're going to believe you sent me. Can you prove this? How do I how do I prove that you sent me? Well, here's some miracles. of so the whole, the hand thing, and then the the, 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 the blood watered the blood and the snake thing. He performed these tricks, the party tricks, essentially. Um, he performed them to believe. And did they believe? no. So Moses recognized God. Do you realize who you're talking to? We're talking about Israelites. <laughs> okay. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe you sent me. They're not going to accept this. So you got any ideas? And God said, well, here's some ideas. We'll give us these, these little demonstrations, and then that'll help. And he goes through all these plagues. That should help. And yet it never really sinks in. It never really helps. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like, oh, those are just tricks. Yeah. Anybody could do those. It's just just give me some time, I'll figure out how you how you do the magic trick, right? It's a sleight of hand or whatever. Well, yeah, there's some, some disadvantage. So this persistent um um disbelief is it goes from continuously for generations, while we note that in in other examples we have obviously war don't have consistent generations because they all die. But the point is that Messiah points out this disbelief problem is going to persist with you, disciples. They're not going to believe you either. They're not going to believe anything. So they're not going to, not going to follow it. So let's go through that a little bit. Hopefully we can. So go to, uh, first of all, let's see here. Okay, so this is, this is a trick uh, passage. So be fair, i be really, really kind to, to try to explain as best I can. Um, but first of all, let's go to, before we get to that passage, the trick one, let's go to John uh, chapter 10. My other Bible. The Messiah runs across this problem, and it's like, okay, what do we do with this? How do we handle this scenario? Let's pers- let's pretend that I am a person who is this Israelite stubborn disbelief. This is me. I will not believe. You can't make me. You know, can't tie me up and I can't put me in prison and force you to believe you. So I'm not going to read the entire passage of John 10. By the way, this is in the context of the Hanukkah story and how, how Messiah is showing up in the story, of he events. And uh, pointing out that, that my sheep hear my voice. But anyway, so John chapter 10, this is the technically passage goes from 22 through uh, the book. So chapter, uh, verse uh, verse 42. I won't read all of it, but I don't want to waste too much time on this because we have other passages to hit. So we're going to jump down to the the, the middle section. So, so we'll go down to verse uh, 2, verse... Verse thirty-three. So John chapter ten, jump down to verse thirty-three. I'll read from there on, and we'll see the logic that Messiah is using—a logic argument, mind you, not a proof argument, but a logic argument. So, but mind you, our God is going to be pretty logical. He uses reason; things are logical orders, right? And so, reasoning should be a, an acceptable form of of argument, right? So he goes this reasoning process. Uh, in verse 33, which he was, says. the Jews answer saying, because oh, I asked him, why are you killing me? For what good work have I done that you're killing me for? And he said, we're not killing you for a good work, we, we, so we, but because blasphemy, you make yourself being man, make yourself like God. And Jesus answered him, is it not written in your law, quote, I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and this was going to be broken, do you say of him who the father sanctified and sent to the world? you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. So he pointed out, hey, you're calling me a blasphemer because I'm the son of God, right? But the scripture says you're son of God. And by the way, the Jews themselves also argue, we know our father, our father is the God in heaven. So they they, they they accept that argument. That's a logic argument. It totally makes sense, right? And then uh, let's see, God. if I do not do the works of my father, then they'll believe me. Well, that's that's fair, right? If, if, if I'm doing something and what I'm doing does not match God or God's instructions, then don't follow me. Total logic argument. Make sense? But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe the Father is in me and I in him. So he's pointing out okay, if you're not going to accept, I'm going to insert the name Moses instead of, instead of Jesus, same difference. If you're not going to accept Moses, you don't believe him what about the works he's doing? I- imagine that for a minute. Let's say me, Daniel, just me, more ordinary schmo, go along and say, oh, um, I'm going to turn the Nile into red blood. I have my stick, I smack it, and it doesn't turn red. <laughs> it's not working, right? Because Because can I do that of my own strength and power? No. How about the frogs? Can I they water, like wave it. Come on, frogs pop out. <laughs> a small, a small pond that I fill full of frogs ahead of time. Sure, I could do that. I can try to trick it out. Or what about the lice and everybody, right? Or the 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 the, the matter of, of of darkness and and the hail. Can I do any of that as a normal human being? Now, if I do those things, let's put it in Daniel. I say, oh, I can do this, and, and it all happens. Let's say the, the the water turns red and all blood and then the, and the fish die. And then I do it again and the frogs pop out and a whole bunch of all over the place. And then lice come and everybody's infected. And I have a swarms of either flies or beasts, whatever. But why think they have flies? Flies all over the place. We have locusts all over the place. It's darkness and hail. And I'm doing all this. Would you think, wow, Daniel's really powerful? And we we'll stop it instantly, right? And we we'll to stop it whenever I want to. Then would you think that um, in order to do all those things, a normal person can't actually do them, right? The power is from something else than an ordinary guy. Because if I see Moses do this, I should be able to do it myself, right? Give me a stick and touch the water. Oh, it's not turning to blood. What's wrong? Hit, hit the water more. No. If, if, if a man can do that, it's obviously a man's power. If a man can't do that, it has to be God's power or something greater than the man. You could argue whether it's a demon, but the point is something greater than man is doing it, right? So, if 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 I'm going to be Israel, I mean, the stubborn Israelite not going to believe Moses or God or this is even, even from God. If nothing else, the observation of all the different plagues should be enough to be, realize whether I believe this guy or not, God is clearly with him. And not only that, God is agreeing to do what this man is doing, right? So, if God's agreeing to it, and God has given him the power to do it, clearly he's on God's side and vice versa. That's a pretty logic, reasonable argument. Messiah argues the exact same thing. If you don't believe me, or do be Moses, at least believe the obvious miracles that are happening. It, can, can, can I just say, hey, you blind person, Spit. You can see now. Can I do that? Well, I could. I could spit on them. <laughs> They're not going to instantaneously see stuff, right? It's not going to happen. Or somebody who's like, you know, body parts falling off of leprosy so, oh, uh, uh, just just turn around and go be cleaned, and all of a sudden their bodies are fine. I could say it, but does it actually happened. No. Now, if it did, you have to say, wait a minute. Ordinary people can't do that. Therefore, power of some power, some great authority has with that individual. And Messiah is pointing out that if you're not going to believe me, or I'm going to paraphrase, you're not going to believe Moses, at least believe the obvious things you can see, the miracles taking place, the plagues taking place, that whether you believe the man, the individual, he even points out, hey, that's tolerable. You could, you could say, I just don't believe the individual. But you can't argue that, the, that the, the events that you're seeing aren't real. The events you're seeing are real, and you know they can't come from human beings, a spirit or a very, very strong spirit is accomplishing these things. Is At least believe the work that's being done, the action that's being done. Even if you don't believe Moses, at least believe what's what you see. If you don't believe Messiah, at least believe what you see was happening, what he's actually doing. That is sufficient. That would be enough to conquer or get around some portion, some measure of this persistent, stubborn disbelief that is perpetuated through Israel for generations to go through, have come, have come and gone, right? That is reasonable. That's a reasonable argument. Messiah gives, you, gives us this option. If you can't believe the individual, believe the work that's actually happening, and that is acceptable. Because like, each individual, you'll note, it gives credit to God. So Messiah gives credit to the Father for everything he does, and Moses gives credit to God for everything he does. Except when he strikes the rock he wasn't supposed to. That's a different one. But that's one time. Okay, the rest of the time, he gives credit to God. So I won't, I won't fault Moses for the one time. He got punished for that sufficiently enough. So, this is our topic of discussion and our interest of of, of, of study. So, But this is not a, a unique thing to Messiah alone. So, let's go to Matthew, which he covers his exact topic. Messiah talks about this topic and, and not just him. It's not I it's that not just him. Or just Moses, this is a persistent problem but for others as well. So in Matthew, uh, chapter, we'll jump to chapter 10 first, but I like chapter 10. Matthew 10, this is recorded other places too. I just am choosing Matthew's version or wording of it. And you could argue Luke records a variation of it too. So Matthew 10, Messiah gives this problem to his disciples. Because note, this disbelief that Moses is experiencing, Messiah experienced the exact same disbelief, right? Forms it miracles and they don't accept him, right? So in Matthew 10, this is when uh, the, we call the, 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 the sending off the apostles to go do miracles and such, right? So Matthew 10, I'm going to read the entire passage. It's going to go through go through verse, uh, from verse uh, five through verse 15. Uh, these, he already listed the previous names of all 12. These 12, uh, Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles uh, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, clean the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely for you have received that you will freely give. Pause. So can an ordinary person heal the sick? Sometimes. Here's some herbs, some medicines, whatever. uh, Cleanse the leper. Okay, maybe not quite so easily (laughs) at that time period. Uh, Raise the dead. Yeah, that's that's sketchy. Okay, I don't think an ordinary person could do that so easily. They're dead. Okay, (laughs) resuscitation. Yeah, how 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 long have they been dead? Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Heart stop for a few seconds. You hit it. Maybe you could argue that, but I don't think that's the kind of you know. not three days later, right? That's not likely to happen. Um, and of course, uh, and cast out demons. Okay, I've heard of people casting out demons. I can't do that. It's not my thing. Somebody else can do it. That's their, uh, they're good for them. But so free to be given, so free to give. So, so, so the, the disciples are being given this power, which essentially is the power of God, for all practical purposes. the authority of God, because demons have to listen to you. The dead person has to come back to life. Uh, the leper has to be cleaned. All these great miracles, right? So go do all these things. But same thing that Messiah is doing. He does, he's teaching too, but he does all these miracles too. So he's doing, so he's giving them the power. Now this is provide either gold or silver, or copper in your many belts, nor bag for your journey. Uh, Not two, sorry, not two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff uh, for workers worth of his food. So basically you're going to bring nothing with you. So no tools in the trade. So there goes my doctor bag. I can't bring my herbs with me. Somebody's sick. I can't heal them with herbs. I don't have anything with me. So that, that scratches that idea, or my 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 what are those those paddles the paddle the electric paddles thing? you can't bring those with you either. when they is it, that because they had those back then, clearly <laughs> the, the the thirty a d version right <laughs> anyhow, so you can't bring any stuff with you that doesn't make it easy to to pull off some party tricks a, a fire version yeah, they made a fire instead of electric so electricity, uh whatever city or town you enter inquire. Who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household and greet it, if the household is worthy, let your peace become upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Okay? So somebody's willing to come. And whoever, and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake got the dust from your feet. Or should I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That's harsh words. I'm just saying. That's really harsh words. So note, he's not going to the pagan Egyptians. He's not going to Samaritans. Samaritans. I didn't say spell Samaritans. He's not going there. He's only sent to the house of Israel. So we're talking just the tribes and descendants of Israel, the stubborn ones. Okay, <laughs> you're only going there. Doesn't oh that that's your target people, and. If they don't believe or accept your, 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 your message, your peace, and, and the, the, the message you're giving, and the, the miracles you're performing, by the way, they don't accept them, it is more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for them in the judgment day. Those are harsh words. That tells you the Messiah pointing out that they're still not going to believe you, guys. I'm telling you, they're not going to believe you. And he goes on, by the way, chapter 10, discuss the fact they're going to turn you over to synagogues. They're going to try you. They're going to kill you, do terrible things to you because they don't believe you. These people, the Israelites, they're the ones who are going to do it. They're the stubborn disbelievers. They don't believe the obvious things in the miracles you're performing. They're right in front of their face and they won't accept those. It's like, that's harsh. That's a harsh condemnation. Unless he's pointing out, it's this persistent stubbornness that has gone through generations and generations for the entire text of our entire Bibles that is always persistent. The obvious things they don't believe. The minutiae detail complexities they might, but the obvious ones they won't. So that's not just to him or to the disciples. Messiah runs across the exact same thing. And just a few chapters later, it talks about it in Matthew chapter 12. Messiah runs across this as Matthew 12, jumped down to verse 20. So Matthew 12, verse 20, and he began to upbraid or, or reproach or condemn the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. So they're not going to accept your works or the message you're giving with those works. We won't accept it. He says, woe to you, Karazan, and woe to you, Bethesda, for if the mighty works which were done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he's pointing out Israelite cities. Tyre and Sidon, which is a, a Gentile, pagan, human sacrificing culture. Okay, Not that they did it at that, his, his time, but they did it prior to his time and, and after. So that's, they, they, they pursued that for a while. Anyway, so Tyre and Sidon, these are pagan cultures, pagan cities, human sacrifice cities. If the miracles the Messiah had done in, 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 in these two small towns, of course, on Bethesda, had been done in these two, they would have repented already in sackcloth and ashes. They would have accepted the obvious, I see the work, even if I don't understand the details behind the individual. I see the work alone, and that is sufficient for me. It is your course. No, that's not sufficient. That's not good enough. I won't accept it. A point out to be more tolerable for 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 them so it says uh oh continues in verse 22. uh see and you Capernaum who are ex- exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works which are done in you have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah or Sodom it would have remained until this day but I say to you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you so even Capernaum one of the primary towns he started his entire ministry out in. So Capernaum has the same problem. So, which are all Israelite towns. So Israel in Messiah's day has this consistent stubborn disbelief still going on. Right? It hasn't ended. It has it, it persisted in Messiah's Day. We know it persists in Moses' day because it's explicitly recorded to keep saying. Moses, God really with us? God's not with us. We don't believe you, Moses. We reject you, Moses. Let's rebel against Moses. Let's rebel against God. This never-ending cycle for forty straight years is why it's do this in the wilderness, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah. Where are my birds? Where are my food? I want more. Food. This never-ending cycle, right? So this persistence, clearly, God. At least why, it, as far as you can tell, the God when He's recorded, when he recorded in Bo, the first chapter, chapter ten, there. And Messiah, later on, both record the same persistent problem of this stubborn disbelief. I don't have the answer as to why this is the case, but apparently making the observation that pagan individuals seem to have less stubbornness than non-pagan individuals i don't I don't fully understand it, but I find it fascinating observation that both God, And all the prophets and Messiah and the disciples all observe the exact same problem. And it's not just a generation, it's perpetual generations. The most obvious things, the miracles being performed, aren't good enough. And I find it that that makes sense as to why the miracle, the generation asked Messiah, show us a miracle. Is it only a wicked and perverse generation asks for miracles? Because what is Israel asking for? Give me some miracle. I've given you them. And it's still not good enough. Uh you have a uh, Carrie, you have your hand up? Go ahead.
2: Um, I'm just gonna offer a perspective. Yeah. Um this situation with Egypt and Israel being delivered reminds me very much of an abusive marriage or other kinds of relationships where we've got a predator kind of or like a perpetrator of harm um, over a person or a group of people or even things like, um, you know, like abuse and sexual sex trafficking, things like that. Um, Israel was in slavery for, isn't it something like 400 years or something like that?
0: They debate that, but yeah, that's all right. Or they Close were so in enough. Israel
2: for that long, but not necessarily slavery for that yeah, long. Yeah, not
0: slaves. Right, 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 right. Okay. Go ahead.
2: So, but regardless, any amount of time that you're being oppressed, there are things that happen to your psyche, and um, and what can happen, you know, what happens is, you know, you're dealing with trauma and things like that, and um, people start losing their sense of self. They they don't they don't see themselves, they get to where they don't see themselves of worth, the way that Hashem looks at us. Um, and also Israel, I mean, obviously through scripture and even in modern history, we see that they go in and out of captivity of, of different kinds. Um, so for me, it's not that far of a stretch, you know, just for me to understand that even though they might, some of them might even know who God is, but they won't necessarily think that he's actually going to deliver them all the time because he doesn't all the time. Um, you know, uh, where, where in contrast, you know, these people in Egypt, um, Pharaoh, basically, is. you know, he's in a pissing contest, right? Like, Oh yeah, you're a God, but you're not as powerful as I am. And I'll prove it to you. And then of course Hashem, you know, swallows him whole like the serpent did. Right, But right. um <laughs> You know, but then, you know, with the advisors and the other people, they're sitting here going, Whoa, we thought our leader was the most powerful God, but obviously he's not because they're seeing this stuff. But they come from a place of privilege. They're not dealing with oppression like the Israelites are. They don't have the trauma in their, in their genes kind of that gets passed down through generations. Um, and they don't have a history with this. Unseen God of going into captivity repeatedly, and and not knowing when they're going to be released. So for me, it's that not that far of a cry. And I think for some of them, you know, everybody's individual. So I think it's entirely possible that some of them were more of a stubborn kind of in-your-face kind of thing. Um, I think a lot of them were dealing with trauma that I think a lot of us deal with on a daily basis, um, and it can take time, um, even if we know. I mean. I'll just say my own self personally. There've been plenty of things that have happened in my life. I know who God is. I've never forgotten that. I didn't stop believing in him. Um I trust him for a lot of different things. But there are times when I look at a situation and I and I know he might not get me out of it. Right. And you know, I can still know who he is and I can still know he's capable and still know I don't know if he's going to get me out of this and I don't know what I'm going to have to walk through. Um you know, so I think and I think I've had conversations with your father before, too, where um, we talked about the idea that because it had been so long, there were Israelites that didn't necessarily know the nature of Hashem, like right. stories had been passed down, but it also had been a lot of time. And so there w- there was very possibly a disconnect um, You know, so when I read in chapter 10, when he says, so that you may know that I am the Lord, he's saying, so that you may know I am Jehovah. And, you know, just something that came to mind was for at least some of them, it could have been they might know that name, but not necessarily the nature of the person that has it.
0: And that would be a fair argument. That would make sense in the psychological problems with inside Israel there at the time of Moses. And I could see to some level, It makes sense that you could pass it on to your children to maybe a generation, I would think. I'm not a psychological expert to know how many generations does that persist. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have to know does it, it, I mean, for example, um, obviously God, he has us remember this event for all eternity, essentially, from beginning all the way through. It never ends. So I was reminded of what, that was what that was, but in the time and in, in the time of Messiah, Rome, Rome was obviously oppressing at that time. That that event took place during Messiah's lifetime, and, and I, I, would, I would say that would make sense to some level. I just don't know where if if that, let's let's assume for a minute that there is it's a psychological problem that Israel has, and and in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Tyre, Sidon, and Samaritans, Egyptians they don't have the same psychological problem they don't have the oppression problem so let's assume for a minute just for sake of argument that israel's stubbornness is based because of oppression which i get that, that i'm not arguing that that's, that's not a that, that that's a legit problem because god does mention multiple times within side of the minor prophets specifically that oppression is a serious crime he hates that so oppression could be a legit argument that Israel's stubbornness and disbelief is based off of oppression or, or some memory of or association of oppression. And you could argue with what type of oppression, what sort the of type, there's a lot of different kinds. Let's assume so that's the case. So I, ha- I would have to find out to, to answer this question because I, it, I'll legit, this, this legit question I don't have an answer for. This is why it's interesting to me. Is that how, how many generations does oppression last? Um, is it is it is it is it two is it three is it five I don't know. If if, if that was the case, Israel's stubbornness, disbelief uh, throughout their entire history is all based on oppression. Then I'd have to ask, well, what about when they were under Solomon's care? So if I were under Solomon's care and King Solomon, which I forget how, how many years he reigned. I, uh, it's like. We could be like 40 years. However long Solomon reigned, I don't remember. It's been a, long, a lot of years. So that's probably going to surpass at least one full generation. And during that time, uh, at least I would think, if even if the previous 400 years was not sufficient, and they had their ups and downs, I get that. At that time, I think, would that not be sufficient? Or maybe it isn't sufficient for a full generation to go through of excessive prosperity and lack of any final oppression taking place, would that not be enough to get past some point? Because in Solomon's day, he's even pointing out, hey, we're all going to fail and we're going to be miserable because we're going to reject you. And Solomon recognized that early on in his kingdom. So, maybe, maybe there, is, there is no scenario that exists such that oppression of one generation could ever get healed. Maybe it oppresses once, it persists for thousands of generations forever. I don't know. I, 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 would, I would hope not. That would, that would be very hope, a hopeless scenario. But I would think there's maybe some, some situation in which oppression has to get healed from or the memory is, oh yeah, that's what grandma and grandpa or great, great, great grandma and grandpa went through. But I do get that any repetitive or comp- continual like recaptivity or new famine happening could, uh, could generate a new psychological problem. Maybe that is the source of the persistent stubbornness. I don't know. It is, but it's an interesting problem. Uh, we have a comment here. Uh, Hello, has a hand up? Go ahead. Yeah, we have two hands up. Um,
3: okay, it's oh, De- Debra. And I just wanted to say that Eski and I were of the mindset that um, Stockholm sim- Syndrome, when someone is constantly, we're, you know, with Carrie, she, we, he and I were having that discussion, and generations of being oppressed like that can affect your psyche, along with my mother, who was raised... Um, in the, in the Hebrew or the Jewish roots. And, you know, and I remember her praying, we'd have a crisis and she would say, oh, well, we can't bother God. There are people that are worse off than we are. We, we, we shouldn't confront him. So I got that message of, wow, God is busy and can't help us. He's not, you know, cause we have to be really, really, really oppressed, like, I don't know how much more oppressed when we didn't have any money but uh, you know <laughs> At the point of death <laughs> the point of death and though and also we yeah. were thinking too it's just like people that come from from different countries to america um they they're oppressed but they get house and food and everything and they're like oh my god right. you know so and then so we we believe that you know in a famine and you know generations of being oppressed like that the psyche can be wounded and you pass it on one generation to the next you were blessed because your father That's passed fair. on to you and your siblings the love of Christ, the love of Christ. Mine is I'm still struggling.
0: So there's one more. That's an interesting point. You, you made, sorry, we have another hand up over here. Hello, yeah, it's joking on. Yeah, um, one of the things that just is yelling at me, it's like for 430 years you're telling me all the other gods didn't have voices in the children of Israel's head?
3: stay here stay here this is more comfortable this is safe that's unknown i mean yeah there's going to be strongholds involved not just psyche
0: there probably is i would think that and 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 maybe maybe that is the source of this persistent stubbornness and that we have this this thing that israel suffered for a certain period of time which god orchestrated by the way God purposely did it, but I don't know that that would be, I, I just don't have a good note. I don't have a psychological, you know, and understanding of how, because I, I, by the way, I could, I could say, well, if, like I'm, I made this as as extreme exaggeration. So bear with me. I could say, well, uh, so-and-so stole my cookie. <laughs> That's really, really minor, right? It's almost insignificant, a joke, Right. I said that that is a that's an oppression. I was mistreated. And I could hold on that grudge for a whole lifetime, theoretically, as a choice. And so I said, okay, if God orchestrated the oppression from Egypt, which he did, um, and and that was, and so I would have to say that if I'm gonna hold on to that oppression for not 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 I'm not arguing with me myself, but but pass the oppression off to my children and grandchildren, I don't know that I'm doing God's will if I do that. Does that make sense? I would question if I if I pass on the mentality of extreme oppression that you are an oppressed people, you will retain oppression for your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren and whatnot. I would question if that is if that if, if I myself am doing justice or God's righteousness by doing so. But Joy has a question. Go ahead, Joy. God uses, he describes Israel. He does. You're right. God does describe Israel as stubborn. That is true. Pass this mic to you. Yeah. Right. So she points out that God Himself explicitly states Israel is a stubborn people. Character is a trait. He he does, and that is true. He does say to Moses. He, he explicitly states this is a stiff-necked people, and that is it. That is a characteristic God say it's unique about them versus others, and so that could be the problem. They just plain are. Stubborn. (laughs) They're just stubborn. (laughs) It could be good. Right. It can be useful to you. That's true. Right. Your persistence. Yeah. Right. If I was stubborn instead of disbelief, I was stubborn in my belief. If I raise the word dis, it makes me stronger and unwavering. That would be a good version of stubbornness. In regardless of oppressions versus non-oppression. And maybe God recognized that in Abraham and his descendants, knowing full well, he's going to be so stubborn that it's going to be both a blessing and a curse at the same time. They can go, make it, they can go through and maintain that that's what Their stubbornness is the only reason we even have a Bible at all. It's just purely their stubbornness, which is a good thing. The reason the pagan cultures, uh, she's arguing, ah, easier for these guys because these people didn't have truth. Israel did. These people lacked truth, so it was more con- more, more kind to them versus Israel, which has the truth. And they should they their 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 stubbornness in that instance is penalizing them versus helping them. And the lack of stubbornness on this side is a benefit to them because, like I know, they don't, they don't understand anything. That could be. I am totally out of time, so uh, I other people's hands are up. So I apologize, uh, Pamela. Do you real quick? We call it good. About Egypt. I think the Egyptians um, are still in diaspora around the world, and they're called Gypsy. Wait, if Egyptians are still... Wait, repeat that question again. Do I think Egyptians are still in the forty six. In Jeremiah 46, is talking about Egypt as being Egypt, scattered. Right. right. And that someday Egypt they'll be- come back to their land. Well, are Gypsies Egyptians? Oh, Gypsies. I don't know. That's a good question. I've never even looked into that in my entire existence, so I don't know. I know they have some kind of oriental you know, historical background, but I don't know anything else beyond that. I never looked into them before. I mean, I don't know if Jeremiah 46 is talking explicitly about Egyptians being diaspora and remaining there or not. It doesn't. It, someone argued that it is, it's just the Israelites who are visiting, they're going to be scattered out of, again and Egyptians brought back. That's a good question. I'd have to do a study to know the answer. So that's, that's a question I can't answer. I don't know.